Alright, if you guys open up to, to Luke chapter 4, <clears throat> we're going to start in verse 1 and go through 13. Um, as you guys are flipping, I'll ask you guys a couple of questions. Uh, question number one, uh, what is temptation? Temptation, okay? Temptation, I think in the evangelical world, temptation is the opportunity to sin. This morning, I've kind of labeled this message, the opportunity to sin. And to kind of walk through and kind of see the different opportunities that Christ had to sin when He was in the wilderness. So, what is sin? Sin is the opportunity to sin. So, what is sin? Sin is anything that does not represent or glorify God. Correct, correct. It is anything that takes away from the glorification of Himself. Okay, so let's look at, now knowing definition of sin. Sin is anything that takes away from God. doesn't glorify Himself. What is temptation? Temptation is the opportunity to sin. Now let's look at some opportunities in our lives. So, silence yourself. I want you to think to yourself, what are some opportunities that have come up in your life in the last two weeks that have possibly caused you to sin? Okay? And as you think of those things, I don't want you to think about the small, minute things. I'm talking about the powerful sins that can cause you to radically change and alter who you are as a Christian. Because I believe that power lies within sin to change your life so that it will not walk with the Lord for a lifetime. I do believe that temptation is powerful, but I think the power of life transformation happens within sin. See, sin is a hook. If you're a fisherman, you've ever been fishing, you ever watched fishing, sin is the hook. Temptation is literally the bait that you put on that hook. It is the thing that, that Satan will bait you in order to grab onto that hook that you can't necessarily see. And in the moment that you've bitten on to that temptation, that hook sets and then spiritual death will come upon you. And so as we look at the way that Jesus has been tempted, and I've asked you, what are some things in your life that God is trying to walk you through in your temptation? What have you been tempted in in the last two weeks that you think that through the power of the Holy Spirit you've been able to walk through? That temptation, opportunity to sin has come up, you've looked at it square in, in the eye, and you said, through the power of the Holy Spirit, this is, it has no control of me, you walked away. So my question from that is, did you feel guilty for being tempted? You know, I tell the students sometimes, you need to create circumstances to succeed in. It's something that I learned in the business world. When I was in sales for a couple years, one of the things that I wanted to do in sales is I wanted to create an opportunity for me to be successful. So I put myself in that position so that I would be successful. And I think a lot of times we as Christians don't understand that temptation, sometimes we can't create an opportunity to be successful in the fact that we can't remove ourselves from temptation when in fact temptation is all around us. And for us to feel guilty for being tempted, I don't think is necessarily the right thing to do. I think where we should feel remorse is that when we falter to the sin that the temptation is leading us to. So let's look at Luke chapter 4. Actually, let me do one more analogy real quick. One of the things that, I'm, that I look at Jesus and I say, 
Christ, I want to follow you. I want to follow the model that you have given me. And a lot of times it's very hard for me because my theological mind and the way that I think is I try to find every angle. You know, I try to be, you know, the Bourne supremacy. I try to find every angle, what's going on, you know. I think I'm Jason Bourne, but I'm not as good looking. And so what I do is I try to, to figure out all those different angles to try to figure out what in Scripture can I attack to, to make sure that it's, it has validity. So one of those things is, can God, as a man on earth, could He truly sin? Can He have that opportunity to sin? God comes down in human form as His Son, Jesus Christ. He is tempted in the wilderness. Can He be tempted because He is ultimately God? Here's the thing. Let's take these two guys. These two buff guys, they walk into a weight room, right? They see a bench bar. They see 300 pounds. The guy walks up to the bench. The first guy sits underneath the bench bar. He takes that 300 pounds, puts it on his chest, and tries to throw that 300 pounds up, and he fails. He's felt the weight of the 300 pounds, but he cannot conquer it. Second guy sits down and he says, I'm going to do this. He sits down, he puts the 300 pounds on his chest, he pumps that, that, that bench bar up, he puts it on the rack. He has felt the entire weight and he has conquered the weight of what has been set before him. See, it doesn't matter if God could truly sin or not. In, in human form. What matters is, as Jesus felt the entire weight of sin, He conquered it on our behalf. Why? Because the first Adam in the New Testament failed. And what we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 1 is when Jesus is the second Adam who's going to conquer sin on our behalf so that we, we may be right and justified in the eyes of God. That is what's important. We cannot get stuck on the theological issues of who God is and can He truly sin is the fact that we need to get stuck on God saved us from sin. So let's look at Luke chapter 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. This is where He was baptized. And He was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Okay, let's jump back in chapter 3. Kind of the end of chapter 3. Jesus um, is being baptized. As Jesus has been baptized, what happened is the Holy Spirit ascends on to Jesus. This is where God said, this is my son who I love, who I'm well pleased. And this is where the Trinity is met. This is where Jesus starts his ministry. He gets out of the water. And then right here it picks, well, then it goes into the genealogy. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, because this is my son who I'm well pleased, who the Holy Spirit is now in, let's go do business. Jesus doesn't waste any time. He says, he returned from the Jordan. He was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during these days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. Okay, I want to camp out there real quick. For 40 days, he was being tempted by the devil. Okay? And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, what is they... Those they are the 40 days. They had ended and he was hungry. Moving on. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Two things we're going to pull out of verse 3. <clears throat> Actually, 2 and 3. They ended, which is the 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, 
when we look at fasting, fasting is when you put something down so that God can be glorified and you're focused. Fasting doesn't mean, in, you know, like it does in suburbia, it means a cleanse. We're not trying to make ourselves look pretty. We're trying to simply fast Jesus. Fasting, at the end of that 40 days, what happens, Satan comes to him and says, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. The great thing about this, and that we're going to relate to our lives and what Jesus overcome, is number one, is that Satan asked Jesus to question his divinity. If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to move, or to turn into bread. How many times... Seniors, high school students, junior high students, adult. How many times in our lives has Satan asked us the question, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? He asked you to question who your identity is. Satan asked Jesus to question himself. And then he says, turn this stone into bread. The likely thing is to look back in verse 2 when it says, and he became hungry, hungry, and then Satan tempted to turn the stone into bread. So then you would think, that the purpose here of this temptation is for Satan to tempt Jesus from breaking his fasting. But that's not the case. It's not it at all because it had ended and then he asked him. Jesus was so focused. Jesus was so laser pointed focused that for 40 days he didn't even realize his hunger. He didn't realize his thirst. The moment he stood up and realized that he, is, that he had gone 40 days without eating... That's when Satan attacked him, and that's when Satan asked him, turn the stone into bread. And I believe that is the moment that when Satan takes our lives and makes us question, is after we are focused, after we are fasting, after we are so single-mindedly, laser-pointed, focused into Jesus Christ. So the question is, what is the bread? Is bread a good thing? We got good carbs, we got bad carbs, we got different types of breads here. But initially, and essentially, bread is a great thing. Bread is something that gives us and satisfy our hunger. Is our, is our home a great thing? Is the place that we live, the place that we put our head, is it a great thing? Yes. Is money, is that a good thing for us? Yes. Scripture says, if you don't make money, therefore you cannot eat. Ski said on numerous occasions, Are your children a great thing? Is your husband, is your wife, is your family a great thing? Yes. So what's your point, Sean? What is Satan tempting Jesus at this moment? He is tempting Jesus to be, not to be content on what God has given him. The stone in this moment is the spiritually neutral things that God has given us that are good. That give us life. They give us life more abundantly in Him. And the things of bread, if you turn the stone into bread, you can have the bread is a bigger house, a bigger car, a better family. More finances. He is asking Jesus Christ in a moment of weakness after He's been hungry for 40 days to trade in everything He has, has had in the wilderness, he's asking him to trade it in, and that's when Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone. 
our finances, our stability, our husbands, our wife, our children. That is not the bread. That is not what satisfies our soul. What satisfies our soul is God the Father who gave us His Son so that we may be rectified and live in Him and through Him and then have peace that surpasses all understanding. What are you selling out? What am I selling out that we think is the true bread in our life? And that's very tough for me as a 30-year-old. In the last 10 years, I'm trying to figure out who I am, what I am, and how to, pr- to provide for my wife, to a church, and one day to my family once we have kids. This is not an announcement, but one day we will have kids. What does that look like to me? I never want to sell out for what I think what bread is. I never want to put anything ultimately above God. I want to put God ultimately because to make much of God and the rest will follow. Let's look at uh, verse 5. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And in a moment of time, the devil said to him, I give you all this dominion and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. I wrestled what, what to talk about with you guys with this. There's a lot of different folks that, that emphasize different things with this different sin or this different temptation. But I think the thing that I really kind of want to hone in this morning is that when I see, when, G, when, when Satan says, I will give you everything if you worship me, I think the thing I want to pull out is manipulation. What does it truly mean to be manipulated? That means that it's a selfish ambition and vain conceit so that someone else could have the glorification, not for you. See, Satan tempted Jesus saying, if you worship me, if you bow before me and you worship, what you will receive is all of this. You don't have to run around and be led by some spirit in the wilderness and have to fast for 40 days. I will give you everything that you need, the bread, so that you will be prosperous and you will flourish. There is nothing that angers me more and spiritually frustrates me than when we are presented with a gospel of prosperity. Jesus Christ is not one that says, if you follow me, if you lay your cross down, I will give you health and I will give you wealth and I will give you everything that you think is needed. I will give you bread. That's Satan's job. Satan is giving you the opportunity to sin in the form of materials and your family. But Satan is overcome when Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, how does that relate to me? How do we, on a daily basis, manipulate the system in order to gain something that we need? You know, when I, when I was in sales, um, one of the things they taught me was manipulation. Sales is two different animals. Sales is to provide a need for someone else that they can't live without, 
so that I can get a paycheck so I can provide the meal on my plate. But I became hungry. I wanted the bread. I saw all my other friends that graduated from A&M and these other places. And I wanted what they wanted and what they had. So I began to manipulate the system in the corporate world to figure out how can I have the things that I want. And slowly, my meter, my moral meter, began to look like everyone else in this world. Am I trying to say that the secular world and, 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 and different professions are wrong? No. I fell victim at a point in my life just like I can in ministry. I never want this student ministry to be a place for me to manipulate so that Sean looks good. I never want that to happen in my life and I never want it to happen for us. So as you walk through your life, are you manipulating the system? Are you presenting prosperity to someone else so that it reaches you ultimate gain? Because Jesus came to serve. He didn't come to be served. He laid His life down for us. And I pray that everything that I do as a husband, as a father, as a student pastor, as a friend, is in laying my life down so that other people can understand what the gospel of Jesus Christ really means. And I don't want the cities that Satan has to offer because ultimately what he's offering Jesus is death. He's offering him the hook. The temptation is that he will never have to suffer or wander through the wilderness again. Therefore, let's walk away together. And Satan has overcome again. And we need a third Adam. Let's look at verse, uh, verse 9. The third temptation. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written... He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Let's look at, let's look at this one more time, verse 9. And he led him to Jerusalem, and he said, Stand at the pinnacle. And he goes on and he says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. This is the second time in three different temptations where Satan asks Jesus to question his identity. One of the things I hear mostly about students and from students is who they are in Christ. One of the dangers of student ministry and the different events that we have um, on a yearly basis, is that when we present the gospel, that students would stand up and think that they would have to get saved all over again because somehow they had walked away from the gospel of Jesus Christ and they need His redemption again. Because this world, media, television, they have not affirmed, and we are not affirming in them, and they are not affirming themselves who Jesus Christ is, and that their identity is solely met within the confounds of the Holy Spirit. So as Jesus asks this question, if you're, the son of, if you're the Son of Man, if you're the Son of God, then throw yourself down from here, 
For it is written, He will command His angels concerning to you and will guard you. College student, high school student, graduating senior. Satan is crafty. I believe that Satan is with a team of demons. And he is opening up God's Word. And he is calling every one of you by name. And he is asking the question, What in this scripture can I use in the wrong context to make you and manipulate you so that you will walk away from the Lord and not be equipped with the tools to walk with Him for a lifetime? Because when Satan says this, if you are the Son of Man or Son of God, throw yourselves down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. He is quoting Psalms 91.11. Satan is crafty. He knows the Scripture. He knows your, your ins and outs. He knows the reason why I asked you, what are some of the temptations that can lead to sin in your life is because Satan has you zeroed out and he knows the scriptures and he knows where you are faulty at. He knows how to push your buttons. But I'm so thankful for a Christ and for a Jesus that is well equipped in his Father's word because he has a rebuttal in Deuteronomy when he says, and he answered and said, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. We are faced with so many false doctrines today. We are faced with so many false teachers. These false teachers are in Bible colleges. They're in churches. They're in seminaries. They're in the publishing houses. They're in so many different places that we look to and trust. And I'll get into this in just a minute. But I believe that the Holy Spirit, as it dwells within us as a Christian... You have the power and the authority to find out for yourself the validity of Jesus Christ. And I am so thankful that we have a church that can rally around and pray through with you. Whether you're a junior in high school, whether you're a senior about to graduate and go off to college, whether you're single, whether you are a parent, a single parent, you're a mom and a dad with a tough situation at home. We have a church with folks that want to teach and to live out true validity of Jesus Christ in our lives. This is our home. This is where life happens, and this is where it starts, and this is where it ends, in community and in fellowship with Jesus Christ. We have to watch out for false teachers. We have to watch out for people trying to tell you, manipulate you, to try to grab the bread, to show you that this is what true happiness is. Look out for those folks that are manipulating you to figure out what is really right and what is wrong. And then we need to look out for false teachers. In the academic world, you don't understand how true those three things are. I believe that as a high school student, for six years in student ministry, you're walking around in a living, vibrant bubble. And the moment that the rubber meets the ground and you go off to college or you start providing for yourself, that's when that laser pointer like Christ, that 40 days of fasting is almost over, and you look up, and then every temptation that God wants to hold you back from, you are faced with, and then you are tempted with, and then the opportunity to sin is at your doorstep. 
And that's an adult. I don't know how many of you guys can relate to this, but did some of you, as you got older, that some of the temptations that you had in high school and in college, they got harder? They were more prominent in your life to, and, uh, to come up because the Satan knows that you have more responsibility in your life as you, as you raise a family and you have a community of people around that you're responsible for? I so desperately, in this church, want to create opportunities for success. Temptation is abundant. Should we feel guilty? Did Christ feel guilty? I don't know. That doesn't say that in the text. But I know that Jesus has modeled to us what it looks like with the full burden of temptation and that sin. He has conquered it so that we can be living through what He has conquered in the power of Himself. Next couple of minutes before I close, I, I kind of want to give you an oversight into the life of our church. You know, being a student pastor, it's probably one of the greatest things that I could do in my life. You know, I would do this job for free. But I want to I unpack some things that we do. I want to kind of give you guys a vision of what, and, and kind of tie in this temptation to you guys. And how we can walk through this temptation together as a church. In the student ministry, we accomplish three different goals. But in those three different goals, they are to accomplish one goal. And the purpose of the student ministry at Tomo Bible Church is this, to glorify God. That is our sole existence, to glorify God. And there's three different words I think the students are totally sick of. And what are those three words? Okay, good. All right, I didn't fail. All right. Those three words are know the truth and know why you believe it, live the truth in lifestyle and community, and to share the truth because you just can't contain it. I believe that it is our job as a church body, not as a student pastor, but as the body of believers that we support our students and we invest in them whether they're in the nursery, whether they're in children's ministry, whether they're in student ministry. Because at different times in our church, a kid's going to come in when he's a junior in high school. A kid's going to come in when he's a senior. A kid's going to come in when he's a third grader. And we need to start this process at whatever they walk into and begin to mature them and give them those tools. So let's give you six years of ministry. From the time they enter in seventh grade to the time they graduate, what does student ministry do? Some of you guys might ask that question. What does Sean do on a daily basis? I go to lunch with kids. That's all I do. No. <clears throat> what is Sean, what is, what is the vision of this church for student ministry, and how does my role play into this? To know the truth, to live the truth, and to share the truth this way. We have three different things, and we have different ministries that plug into those. Okay. Know the truth. Well, how does a student, or how does someone in our church have the opportunity to know the truth? We have several different ways. We have small groups, and we have Sunday school. That's how they know the truth. They work separately, but together. We have several different leaders in our church that have invested years of their lives so that the success of learning the truth will be something that's ingrained in them. Secondly, we've got... Live the truth. 
We create opportunities for kids to live the truth and lifestyle and community. What are those things? We have prime time. We've got connection. We've got small groups. We have different opportunities for our students to come in to have community amongst 40, 50, 60 other kids and their grade and their school and their community so that there is community based there and there is opportunity. One of the things that, one of the things that, that was a challenge for me when I got here is homeschool, private school, public school. Okay, I'm just going to cat out of the bag. There it is. Okay. One of the things that I noticed is that the division there. One of my purposes here that I wanted to communicate is that I want to bridge the gap. So as we create opportunities to live the truth, that a group of students, high school or junior high, can come together at the end of a weekend, at the end of a Bible study, one student looks at another student and goes, where do you go to school? And after spending an entire week and in, in building unity and, and community with one another, they look at each other and go, I'm homeschooled. I go to Tomball High School. I go to Klein Oak. I go to Rose Hill. Really? And then every time they meet at prime time or connection, those relationships are built. And guys... If you go and you spend time with our church and our students, I believe that the division is gone. That there is no longer, if it is, it's not as visible. That is for sure. That you can walk in and you can see students and you can say, I don't know who's the homeschoolers. I don't know who the private schoolers are. I don't know the public school. That is not something I'm boasting. It's because of you wanting and desiring that. And I'm so thankful for that. Creating those opportunities for community. And then we have share the truth. See, it's a cycle. You know it, you live it, you share it. Once you shared it, then that person you shared it with, they become, they know it, they live it, they share it. Those sharing opportunities are these events and camps and reverbs that they can bring their friends. They get excited about Jesus Christ and the life transformation that's happened in their life, they bring them. See, student ministry, and I believe ministry as a whole, is a funnel. What's the purpose of a funnel? It's to catch everything. It's the catch-all. And then the very bottom of that funnel is a hole. That your laser point, and that's what specifically is designed to go in something. The funnel is the share. We bring these kids in, and we just want to dump them in. There's opportunities that are just evangelistic. There's opportunities that are just for growth, and there's opportunities just for community. And that's what our church is. I'm not even just saying student ministry. Our church is a funnel. We have opportunities for people in your community that you can invite, that you can dump into this funnel in the top, and that ultimately their goal is to know the truth and to, re- and to regurgitate that process. Something that's been really cool and I've seen happen a year ago, one of our students brought eight of his friends to Pine Cove. It's our junior high retreat that we have in the fall. So Pine Cove 08 or 09, um, he brings eight of his friends. The reason why he brings eight of his friends is because the year before, he gets saved. He is so excited about not just the... He's so excited about the transformation of his own heart. He wants all his friends to come to know the Lord. So he brings eight friends. Seven of those eight people come to know Jesus that weekend. 
seven of those in 2009 got saved. Not even a year ago. Well, as John said a couple weeks ago, that some more kids at, at Connection got saved. And you know who those kids that got saved? They were the kids that got saved from the kids that the student brought. So we have a student that got saved. He brings seven friends. They get saved. Some of those seven bring some of their friends. They get saved six months later. That's the funnel. Now they're in small groups. My challenge is to you is that this temptation that we have, this temptation is an opportunity to, to fail and to sin. It strictly lies within your hands. We as a church are doing powerful things. And I'm asking you, and I'm begging you to plead, get on the bandwagon. God is here. He has created this opportunity for us. If you want to know how to pray for us, pray that more kids aren't transitioning from one church to the next, that we have not transitions, but we have life transformations. And for six years, we were preparing a student so that when they go off, they are able to withstand and withhold these temptations. So seniors, your job, as we have given you the opportunity to take hold of these opportunities to succeed with these, these, these tools of the gospel, I pray that you take these, these tools and you walk with the Lord for a lifetime. Sure, you're going to get nicks and bruises and bumps, just like every one of us adults have. We have the scars, but Jesus' scars cover our scars. And as if you're a junior in high school, if you're a 6th grader, if you're a 7th grader, if you're an adult in this room, now is the time to take that opportunity. Seize the moment and take this opportunity. Because temptation, you will never be able to go as far as you've been yourself. And that's something I want to offer to you guys. Because I believe in your hearts, in my heart, that in your heart, the Spirit of Jesus Christ dwells inside of you. And you have that opportunity to sin or to or continue walking. You know, I, I, I'm really proud to be your student pastor. I love you guys so much. And I'm here to serve with you, adults. So if you've heard anything, my job that I've created for myself is to serve you and I want to be there when you need me. I am human, and I will fail. I am not claiming to be perfect, but I am claiming that I serve a perfect God, that if you put your trust in Him, with your temptations, that He will see you through. And not to be scared of the temptation, but to walk in the truth that only He has. And He will walk you through those. No matter how many times you you skinned your knee. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We praise you. God, temptation is one of those topics that I think is kind of sensitive because it brings up and kind of peels, peels a scab off because it reveals to us what are some things that we need to work on? What are the things that we need to give over to?